This message is brought to you by IOM America and the International Fellowship of Exchange Life. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am your ministry host. We hope that the Lord blesses you today as you listen to our podcast. Good morning, our online listeners. Those are going through the IFL online school. Today's message is number 16 of the Identity Matter series. And the title is Discipline for the Physical Area of Life. So a lot of people are probably already thinking, oh, we're going to talk about the human body and how we need to buffet it and, and make it uh, exercise worthy and whatever. Well, no, actually we're not. We're going to talk about the physical realm of life, which does include the human body. So let's jump right into our message this morning. Keeping in mind that our scripture is Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, which talks about our citizenship actually being in heaven. But let's take a look at our first slide. It says exercise our potential. The overall message of the scriptures is that an indwell believer should exercise the fullest potential of all that he or she is in Christ. The term exercise, of course today, usually is associated with what? The physical body. The term exercise, you ever heard of someone saying exercise in a demon? The exorcist? The term exercise is not associated with the body. If you were to exercise the body, you're actually taking every ounce of strength you can get out of that body to hopefully reach its full potential. That's what you're doing when you're buffeting the body. If you're exercising a demon, for example, you are working and bringing out the very core of God's power and removing that impurity out of that human soul. If you're exercising your full potential in Christ Jesus, you're reaching to the very core of Christ's life and mind in you and bringing it forward to literally function in your daily living. That's what we're talking about. To appropriate this, it takes a great deal of discipline. That of the disciplines of the Lord's life within each, each believer. I have no ability to live the Christian life. I have no ability to live victoriously. I have no ability to even have devotions. I have no ability to do anything apart from Christ Jesus. But Satan comes along and he goes, liar, liar, pants on fire. You do too have the ability. Let me show you. And so he reaches in, exercise. He reaches in and he pulls out the very core of every ounce of strength that he can get out of you as a worker works by the law. So he's saying, set up rules, set up, set up, and he, and he gets this Christ follower or even indwelt Christian to start setting up rules so they are a disciplined person. You know, one of my greatest nauseating things to deal with in life 
is parents who expect their little kids, their children, to act more spiritually mature than they are. Worse yet, is if one of these little ones has not even been filled with the indwelling life of Christ, and you expect them to function as an indwelt, mature Christian? It's foolishness. It is provoking Satan for reaching into the core of their flesh life and bringing every potential that he can get out of that human soul, who's going to hell, by the way, but he's exercising the very self-effort in that person and bringing it forward, exercising it forward so that it looks like Jesus Christ. You can look like Jesus Christ and still go to hell, I promise you. There are a lot of antichrists in the world today and many of them are even listening this morning where you have mastered the art of looking like Christ, but you have no life of Christ in you. And those of you who are listening and you know what I'm talking about, there's going to come a day when you will stand before Jesus Christ, the man who you think is your husband, who's going to save you from condemnation eternally. And he's going to say to you, who are you? Well, I preached in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did miracles in your name. And as the verse goes, what does he say? Be gone from me, for I know you not. You see, that's what Satan wants. He wants to reach inside the core of that human soul, exercise those self-effort activities, make them mature, make them... Preachers, make them teachers, make them whatever looks like Jesus Christ. He wants all that exercised out of them and to stand before Christ one day and Christ looks at him. Satan knew the whole time, by the way, and looks at him and says what we just said. I, I'm telling you guys, this is too much for my mind to understand. That person is going to believe they are a true Christian who's been practicing Christ-like things their entire adult life and are going to hear the words out of our Savior, our husband, our God. I don't know you. Who are you? Well, I got the behavior to prove it. It got exercised out of me. I don't know who you are. The filter of the cross is the only thing that God the Father looks through. And anything on the other side of that cross better look exactly like the cross or God the Father won't even see him. I don't know you. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Now, whoever that affects in this generation, the next generation, generations to come, is between God and you. But you blow it off. Go on. Blow that harsh doctrine off. And I'll tell you what. You can camouflage that doctrine with your job. You can camouflage that doctrine with education. You can camouflage that, that job with, with 
performance parenting. You can camouflage this issue of discipline any way your flesh wants to. But if Christ is not doing it through them, you are leading them to the pit of hell. That, there's no other way to put it. That's why when these kids, they, they grow up, and, and after they're grown up, you see divorces, you see, you see behavior that you go, that, is, that was not my intention when I was trying to train them up. Well, you're training them up to be exercised in the flesh. And then you, as the parent, you start going, well, where did I go wrong? Or you start questioning my, my existence. You start questioning why am I here in, on this earth? And you start, you start questioning the basics. I know why I'm here. I know why I'm going to die. I know that every child I talk to, every adult I talk to, needs to understand one thing. The potential of Christ's life in them needs to be exercised out of them. How much simpler can we make this? But it seems to be the message that people fight us on worldwide. You know the responsibility of that is when we get on the other side and as ministers and leaders, it says there is much is given, much is required. It also talks about leaders are going to receive a harsher review. Okay, it says judgment. But the reason why that is the case is because our words are so potent to the listeners. And what you teach and what you preach in whatever country you're in, whatever orphanage you're in, whatever church you're representing, whatever political representation that you are a part of, you need to understand this basic factor. What comes out of your mouth is recorded in the book of life. You will have to review this with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, saved or not saved. You will review what has come out of your mouth. We have an immense responsibility of how we're going to exercise. Are we going to exercise out of people and join Satan and exercising self-life, self-will, self-potential? Or are we going to look at these children, whether they're adult children of God or children children, and say, outside of Jesus Christ, honey, you have no ability to obey me. It's like putting on your shoes in the morning. I can teach you to put on your shoes and tie your shoes, but you need to understand, honey, that is an act of the flesh. Until Christ comes in you and does the thinking and doing through you, every good work you have, honey, every picture you sketch for me, everything you do, is of the flesh. Trying to gain attention, trying to gain acceptance, trying to get the smile on my face, trying, trying, trying. Honey, this is all about Christ indwelling you. And right now, honey, that day is not upon you. You say, oh, that's defeatism. You don't want your children growing up thinking that daddy's not proud of them. I get sick to my stomach every time I hear that term proud. Whether it's a coach to a student, whether it's a parent to a child, whether it's a spiritual coach, everyone wants to hear those magical words. Say it with me. I'm 
proud of you. We've already done the Hebrew study of pride. We already know the direct connection between the term pride and the word Satan. But yet we want to train up our children in a way that they beg and plead from their bosses and their spouses and their parents to hear those wonderful words, I Satan you. There are seven things that God hates. Four of them involve the word of pride. Because it is glorifying Satan. It's exercising his works out of a human soul so that God never gets the glory. And he can even do it in an indwelt believer. We are jumping around, jumping through hoops to please people so that you get that look on their face that they're proud of you. Well, I'm telling you, no matter what country you're in, no matter what culture you're in this morning or this evening, I am telling you this. If you keep the word pride and the word Satan connected together as one unit, you will never use that word again, ever, in any fashion. And anyone who comes along to me and gives me a hard time for not using the term pride or proud, go ahead and make my day because I know that I know the reason why God says, I hate pride. God has the prerogative to hate Satan. And he is going to baptize him by fire. He too has to go through the third baptism except for God doesn't turn the furnace off, ever. Can you imagine that him and everyone who bought into the lie of exercising self-will out of someone is going to have the furnace turned up on baptism of fire and God is never going to turn it off. You, on the other hand, me, on the other hand, as the bride of Christ, we get ours turned off when we physically die. When you physically die, your baptism of fire is over. Now I know that I know, Lord told me this week, that there were gonna be lives touched because of this message. There's gonna be people making connections to what they do, what they think, what, how they function, jobs they have. There's going to be people this week that are going to make these connections and be set free. The Lord has told me that. I understand that. I also know there's going to be people that are going to be seriously convicted by this message and by Tuesday they're going to turn it off. Because what they do is completely hinged upon what I have spoken of this week. And they can't do a thing about it. Now I'm going to say something before we go to our next slide. Because if the question's not in your mind now, it better be in your mind real soon. Here's the deal. Everything that we've talked about up to this point in this message should make you feel absolutely filthy if you're following your flesh. If there's conviction in you've mastered the art of exercising self-will out of people. You've got to ask yourself this question. <laughs> what am I here for then? I had some, a discussion with someone the past couple days. They're in their retirement, feeling lost, not sure what to do. And you can about imagine where my mind was going. You see, most don't even get it until they retire. They're forced out of the to-do to get. 
And then in that moment, which I said to him, <coughs> it has taken you, not God, it has taken you this long to realize you are made for ministry. And you have spent your entire adult life producing and working and assisting God on the side when you were put here on this earth to be raised up for ministry for the purpose of the advancing the gospel in the life of Christ. Guess what his response was? I hear it all the time. I know it. I knew God called me into ministry. My own father, 19 years of age, before he died. Confess that. God called me into the ministry full-time at 19 years of age. I decided to go to war and kill people instead. He spent his entire life advancing, exercising discipline out of himself and others. Where did he get him? A confession, like this retired gentleman. A confession. I know that. Is it too late? No. I'd probably spend whatever days, years, months you've got left on fulfilling the ministry, the higher calling of Christ in you. There's always the issue, of course, of how is one to live? Go ask that in a third world country. It's not a question. Ministry and money are not connected in most of these countries. They just are ministry. They just live ministry. So your discipline of the job that you have should be working you toward that higher calling. So do not get me wrong. I do believe that secular jobs are, are important to work you to that goal. But don't hang on to it and fall into the deception of American retirement. You're going to have a very depressed day on the other end. So here we have it, guys. This discipline starts in our minds by appropriating the mind of Christ through the spirit life, which is his life inside of us. It literally breathes. He literally breathes. The spirit exhales your flesh, inhales the life of his father, exhales all your bad stuff, inhales all the life of Christ, exhales all of your bad habits, inhales that's what the Spirit is supposed to be doing and working out your salvation until you're through your baptism of fire. You're dead. Since our bodies are inundated with sin and our minds are damaged by this sin, it will take com a completely different mind and discipline to eradicate it. And of course, that is the very mind of Christ. I cannot trust my thoughts. That's why when someone wants to debate me, particularly when they use that term, debate me, I am very cordial, respectful, shake their hand, and walk away. Because anytime someone wants to use intellectual jargon to try to jar you, to trap you, you're the one that is guilty of falling into that trap. So it appears that you're not friendly, it appears that you're not social, it appears that you're not whatever, I won't play the game. If you want to sit and talk about defining truth or understanding truth or whatever, two working together in that process, I'll spend hours a day doing that. I don't want to play this intellectual jargon stuff. Because all it does is 
exemplifies self-interpretation of what God already interpreted. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. For our citizenship is in heaven. This is our passage earlier. And I just want to re-emphasize for our online listeners that citizenship actually means ownership. So therefore, wherever your citizenship is, supposedly, that's who owns you. It used to be a principle that worked on cotton fields when you had slaves and you held on to their birth certificate, which basically meant that the, the one who owned that cotton farm or plantation was the one who owned the slave. You had to paper on them. Why? Satan doesn't want anyone to know about his system until he needs it. He wants everyone thinking they're free. Because in the end, he's going to show you his real colors. He's going to do the exact, exact same thing that God's going to do. There's coming a day when God's going to require every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he is God. There's coming a day on this physical earth that Satan is going to require every person that is alive to bow and confess that he is God. That has always been his goal. In order to do that, every knee has to be owned as a slave. So in Christ Jesus, all of us who hear that are immediately going to go down to our knees and we're going to confess that he is our God because we know already we are bought with a price, purchased, and he has the paperwork on our lives. Fight slavery as humans. Do what you got to do with that. The fact is, is all of eternity is based on slavery. Because two gods are standing up there one and is about this high and this one is as big as eternity and they're both going to ask one final request. And the ones who refuse to bow to Satan, which I'll be one of them, if I'm walking the earth at that time, but I, I will, I'll stand, I am not going to bow. Guess who's going to be tortured, shot, removed, made a spectacle of? The ones who are standing. Those are special martyrs during that hour. I've already made the decision. I don't care what people say. I don't care what they do. I don't care what they accuse me of. I don't care. I don't care. I understand that all these things are the birth pangs of an agonizing, selfish church who thinks they have all the answers. And the truth being said, they are begging for answers because the only thing they can find security in is calling forth and exercising the flesh inside of people. And sometimes that can look very healthy. Here's our Hebrew, the word glory. You put tav, he, yud, vav, limit, and he. You put all that together, and here's what you have for the Hebrew definition of the word glory. Now remember those of you who are in the IFL online school and you're listening to this, you actually have to open up that and, that and download that file that says PowerPoint 
because these slides are very important for you to answer these questions on your exam. And here's what we have. To seal the covenant and reveal the deeds of the secured authority of the one who reveals. Hebrew word picture definition. By answering through the original word pictures of Hebrew, Tav is the cross. He is a man who glorifies. When Christians go from hands in pocket to hands in the air, I know they're starting to get it. He is a required behavior in heaven. Do you understand this? It is a required behavior in heaven to glorify the Father, to lift him up. So we're going to go from pockets to he to reveal glory. Anyone who has a problem lifting their hands in worship, I will be bold enough to say you do not get it yet. You should be compelled to lift your hands. That's not judgment, it's truth. The cross is required of glory. You cannot have glory come back unto the Father until you have the power of the cross. It's what pro provides security. Then you have Yud. Yud is that strong arm. One of the Greek definitions that are used for demons is strong arm, strong man. And this arm wrestling that's going on between the flesh and the spirit, and the spirit and the flesh, is Yud. And God's saying, All right, I've already strong manned this guy. He's defeated. It's done. You might as well give me the glory because it's done. Then you have Vav, which is actually the nail that pins down what is coming against the Father. So everything in past, present, and future that came against the Father, he made sure got put on top of Christ. He's not done. And he actually became sin on our behalf. It just didn't get on him. He became sin on our behalf. He had to take on the identity of who we think we are in and of our flesh. Then you have Lemed, which is the cane or the goats or the cattle prod, and it usually has a hook on the end of it so there can be a guidance toward the right direction. And then we have the man who reveals repeated Therefore, we have to seal the covenant and reveal the deeds of the secured authority of the one who reveals. And of course, that is Jesus Christ. He was the one on the cross. Those nails are actually your ignorance, your foolishness, your ridiculous behaviors called sin that nailed him down on that cross. But it had to happen before glory could be revealed before it could have its final seal, closure, come to the full truth of God. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above, where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We used to do this exercise where as I was reading this verse, I would take an envelope which had your name on it and I'd put it inside Christ's envelope and then I took Christ's envelope and I put that inside another envelope that had your name on it again. And then I took that and we placed it in God. Hidden. Hidden in God. We run around and think that Christians who have the life of Christ inside them can be possessed by devils? Liar, liar, pants on fire because the pants are going on fire someday and he knows it. The fact is, is you're hidden in God. He can't even see you. The only thing Satan sees is your flesh. Who you are in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Most High, hidden inside God, he can't see you. How in God's name can he touch you? He can't. But he can touch your flesh. Exercising your flesh. Exercising the flesh in another human soul. That he can do. He is a liar. He's a deceiver. And he is upset that he can't even see us. Because we're hidden in God. There's more to that passage than you and I could possibly embrace on earth. And Paul's just saying, why are you even thinking of these earthly things? Why are you thinking of these earthly jobs? Why are you thinking of these earthly comments and these memorizations and these books and this endless? What's the point? See, our whole vision of breathing every day should be fixed on eternal things. The ministry of reconciliation. You have been called to ministry. Fight it all you want. Go to your grave not doing it. But you've been called. Discipline, setting our affections. Our first discipline is setting our affections on the things above. Accepting that our citizenship is presently in heaven. Not will be, but already is in heaven. We have been raised up and seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. This is the discipline that must be appropriated before we can reckon ourselves dead and hidden with Christ in God. How much more can we ask for? Nothing compares to this truth. How can Satan get at someone hidden in God? He can't and he knows it. So he has to form deceptive concepts, tools, principles, education, and doctrines, twisted demonic doctrines to get these people to think he can get at them. You say, then why do I have habits? Why do I have fleshly decisions? Because of your flesh. That's not you. But in Christ, hidden in God, you're untouchable. Due to this reality he is faced with, he moves to form lies in our minds to block the potential reality that calling to mind, that exercising the identity and life of Jesus Christ in the indwelt believer. The exchanged life doesn't get any more powerful than this. The Holy Spirit works daily to exercise the life of Christ in you to bring it to its full potential through you. Anyone who talks this inferiority, I'm afraid to quit my job, I'm afraid to do that, I'm afraid to leave that, I'm afraid to, 
They are confessing to me. They have no idea what it really means to be exercised through the life of Christ. Fear is Satan's primary tool for his lies. He can't lie to you unless you're afraid. Can't do it. He's got to have you afraid first. I'm going to run through these very quickly. And there's actually copies of these slides by the coffee pot. Those of you who are listening online, you already know how to get those. It's through our, our uh, same place you got the podcast. You can also get the written PDFs. So I'm going to run through these very quickly. Most Indwelt believers know that a, in a moment's time, when we start to set our mind on our flesh, our bodies become vehicles for the expression of that very sinful way. What you set your mind on is what you're going to get. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would not, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. If we don't listen to Christ as the teacher, he, he releases us so that our bodies become the teacher. Do you understand that? If we don't listen to the teacher, he will release our bodies to be the teacher. There's a reality that God gives us an unsaved person over the deeds of their flesh in order that their bodies would be dishonored by all. That becomes the actual teacher and lessons to lead us to this life of Christ. Therefore, I run. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul buffeted his body for the purpose of advancing what he was talking about. So people could look at him and go, hmm, so people, as we were, I was talking to this particular guy this week in a discipleship session about why our, go our goal should always be as Christians to have less of a salary to advance the gospel. Christ became poorer the closer he got to the cross. Literally, his mother had to join him in not having a pillow for her head. But when he started out, rumor has it that Joseph's business was pretty progressive. And of course, he didn't enter ministry until he was 30. So he literally lived out the principle. This is what Paul is telling us. He lived out the principle. The closer you get to the, to the finishing, that finish line, you should be broke. Because your goal is to use all of your funding, all of the natural physical things of this physical world to advance the gospel so you're not disqualified on the other side. But you want to go out rich through your retirement plans, through your this and that? Surprise, because there is a surprise coming for primarily Americans that function this way. Two weeks ago, Jane and I talked to a couple. They were millionaires. And they lost absolutely every one of their investments to the point of being cash broke overnight. You see, anytime you put your treasure someplace, it is actually revealing your confession. Do you know anyone who enjoys and works to make their body a slave? Oh, there's a few you'll meet here and there. 
I think they even say there's an addiction to, to exercise and physical discipline. So you'll meet a few, but it's typically not a popular idea. This exercise and discipline must be applied or else our bodies will become an idol before the Lord. So this physical discipline thing is for the viewing of that, that physical representation of the representation of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, that'd be a good verse to write down. But it talks about the whole idea that uh, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God can actually be formed. So when Paul's talking about, well, all these weaknesses I have, and Christ comes along and says, for my power is perfected in your weaknesses, you have the principle there. God is not and did not send his son to stop you to sin from sinning. It is not his goal. But the church puts the goal on getting the attenders of the church to not sin anymore, not be, have addictions, not have this. That is not the goal. The goal is to have the body, bride of Christ, truly understand what it means to be of one flesh with Christ, be transformed by the mind of Christ from within, the externals will fall off when it is at, it's assigned and aligned to its appropriate belief. There are things I will do until I'm close to death and then those things will line up and drop off. There's things that I'll drop off instantly upon salvation and those were the time that they lined up. Focus isn't your sin, never has been. It is a graceful act of Christ saying, I want to enjoy my bride, but I know I have to prepare her for that enjoyment. Evidence of true honorable identification with Christ in the area of the physical care is not in trying to look the part or, or to look like him by wearing externals. Obviously this misses the mark entirely. Jesus never stood out in the crowd, never did. In fact, the word says he was very un becoming in appearance. That's what the world calls ugly. Why did his own father, came from his own father's seed, Why, how in the world did he end up in this physical beautiful world that God created as unbecoming? Because the ugliest person on the face of the earth could identify with him and he with them. It's not about the externals. The point here is that spiritual identification with Jesus in us will always show itself in appearance and discipline that is appropriate to the situation and also the culture in which that person lives in. If I go to an event where they wear ties, I wear a tie. If I go to an event where they wear sandals and shorts, I wear sandals and shorts. If I go, that's what Paul meant by being all things to all people. When I'm with the Romans, I am as the Romans. When it steps over the mark of going into lust and lewd, that's when we are to go, no, I will not dress like that. So if you go into a house of prostitution, the ladies aren't supposed to dress like prostitutes when they go into the house of prostitution to minister to them. They dress appropriately according to their faith. But see, that's the balance that's hard to understand for humans. So then they start saying, well, 
I'm going to a bar to minister. See, it gets all mixed up. In fact, I know of a church. I've been corresponding with this guy several times. He has a church in Minneapolis. And I'll just leave it at that because I do want to protect his identity because he is in active pursuing the truth on this, but he actually serves beer in his church service. And it is in a bar. And it's a movement that's spreading across America. Teaching people to be modest in all things. That's not a good balance. And most people know that. Here's our final identity matter statement. Making our identity in Christ the root of all that you think, do, or say is the fruit of the Spirit in its most practical application. It is critical that the indwelt believer establishment, the indwelt believer establishes right disciplines of physical care and appearance in their daily living, maintain fellowship with indwelt believers who believe in this manner, and stray from teachings and teachers who put an emphasis on external Christianity following Christ, which leads to further ungodliness because they're leading you away from Christ in you. The greatest deception to mankind for, for indwelt Christians is this teaching. You see, this is the secret that has been so worked out so well for Satan is to get Christians, humans thinking they're Christians when they're not. That's one. Two is to get these Christian, these Christ followers, to lead a multitude away from Christ in you. Thousands, millions of people worldwide, these Christians, Christ followers, are leading a multitude in schools and Sunday schools and churches and community events, just leading people away from Christ in you. Everything is about humanitarianism. The fact, the problem with that kind of Christianity is Christ was not a humanitarian. He actually came to say, you're all going to hell, no matter how good you act, unless you embrace me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come unto my Father except by me. I am the eye of the needle. And you're going to have to leave everything on that side. Take it off of your camel because you're not going to get through the eye of this needle unless you are a nothing. He who thinks he's something deceives himself. You've got to be emptied to get into ministry. You've got to be emptied. You've got to, you've got to be all this stuff has to come off the camel to get that camel through the eye of that needle. And as most of you know, there's actually a community that was built behind these two rocks. There literally is a passageway. You can go visit it today. It's called the Eye of the Needle. And it was a safe city that was protected. And the only way to get through that eye, and the walls of the rocks were like this, is you had to shed everything off from the world out there and work your way through this passage to get to that city. And Jesus himself was saying, I am the eye of that needle. And nothing comes in besides you. And everyone else is like, well, I'm not going. I'll just act like a Christian out here. 
And they hang on to all of their exterior garb and their jobs and their investments and their just whatever. And they weren't listening to the seriousness of what Jesus said. I'll tell you what, bro. You sell off everything you've got and I'll let you through this eye of the needle. Oh, I can't do that. I'm a very rich man. Bye-bye. But you know, he actually made an offer to Jesus. What's it going to cost me? He really thought his life savings could accomplish eternal salvation. Our minds are so affected by sin, we start thinking it's all right and correct and just all part of Christianity. The real facts are, it boils down to this, listeners, is the pathway to, to God the Father is narrow. And there's a requirement of getting through that passageway, and that is to survive the baptism of fire. The verse says, those who endure to the end, those shall be saved. Do you know I am not smart enough, humanly speaking, to think I've got what it takes to get through that passageway? Even I, who believes in the security of salvation, understand this principle. When I am at the gateway of those two structures that form the eye of the needle, when I'm standing there, the final test is, what have I got strapped to my back? Am I willing to drop it? Oh, it can be a marriage. It could be a kid. It could be money. It could be, it could be anything. There's four requirements of proof of salvation, and the final one is, those who endure to the end, those shall be saved. You think you got your ticket in your pocket? I'd like to see it. This is a serious topic. There's going to be salvations this week. There's going to be people who are going to lay their hearts and lives before that passageway because they know they're at death's door, they are going to have their lives touched by the life of Christ. They know, they see, that lined up today when they heard this message that this is the truth that will set them free and that's the life of Christ in me. And those I pray for right now in Jesus' name. Father, I just ask that those who are listening, hearing this message that there is no way to heaven except for through you. There is no way to get through that small, narrow pathway called the eye of the needle if there's anything on our backs. Father, I'm praying for those who are hearing this message and God, you are convicting them to drop off that backpack to be naked and unashamed before you right now so that they can enter that passageway which is the very life of your son. And those of us, Father, who have been encouraged, have been lifted up, have been blessed by the message of truth today, I pray for each of us that we would get our arms around that truth, which is your Son, and that we would begin to yield over thought by thought and have it held captive, slaved, enslaved to the Holy Spirit. Every thought. And when we struggle with Father choices this week, may we remember the power of grace. And it's sufficient, completely sufficient in our weaknesses. 
This we bless you, praise you, honor you completely as our Father. Jesus, you as our husband. Holy Spirit, you as the spirit that lives within us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for listening in on our podcast today. This message comes to you by way of a podcast feed from Heartland Family Fellowship, a family integrated church, which is an outreach of IOM America, right here in Sterling, Kansas. For more information about our church or international ministry, log on to www.iomamerica.org. And if you would like to connect to our fellowship, log on to www. HeartlandFellowships.org It's our prayer that the mind of Christ in you draws you into a deeper walk with Him.